Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. So if you've been ignoring the the mayor's race in the country's second biggest city, what do people need to know? <laughs> First, they need to know that they should be paying attention <laughs> because we, we, we still do have that East Coast bias. I say this as an East Coast person. I'm Annie Reese, and this is Politico Dispatch. But LA is a hugely important city, and this is going to be a really interesting race that could tell us something about where the Democratic Party is, is headed. On the show today... My name is Elena Schneider. I'm a national political reporter at Politico. The cash flush primary for mayor of Los Angeles, one of the most expensive races in the country, and why you should be paying attention. So L.A. is obviously a very blue city. So sort of we've got shades of blue running in this mayoral race. And this is a wide open primary because Mayor Eric Garcetti has been officially now termed out. So we have no incumbent Mm -hmm. running in this race. And we've got a whole host of candidates, more than a dozen, who are going to be on the ballot come June 7th, the date of the primary. And what's important to keep in mind in California races, and this includes the L.A. mayor's race, is that it's a jungle primary, which means that the top two candidates, regardless of political affiliation, advance to November. So again, this is not something that really applies here because we've got sort of all shades of Democrats running. But it's just important to note, we are going to have two Democrats facing off come November if no one reaches 50 plus one. So that's sort of the threshold for eliminating the need for a runoff altogether. We're not expecting at that point to happen because we've got so many candidates running in this race. But it's good to sort mm-hmm. of think about who are at the top of this pile. Mm-hmm. So I would spotlight three candidates. First is Rick Caruso, who is a billionaire real estate developer who has dropped more than $34 million on this race. He is self-financing a huge amount of it. He does have the support of police unions, but it's really, this is money all coming from his own pocket, that he has turned himself into sort of a I don't want to say no name. He certainly is somebody who's worked in the community and has been known. He's famous for these like shopping malls that he has done as a real estate developer, but he's not somebody who's an elected official. So he's gone from basically a no name candidate to being in the sort of top tier of this race, all on the, on the power of his ability to just flood the zone in terms of TV ads, digital ads, any sort of paid communication with voters. Mm Mm-hmm. So the second person that I would mention is Karen Bass. She is a congresswoman from L.A. who really rocketed into the national spotlight when she was considered as a potential vice presidential choice for President Joe Biden back in 2020. That's right. But she's also somebody who's just deeply well-known in this area. She was also in the California State Assembly and has now been in Congress for quite some time. Somebody who's just known as a progressive champion, uh, who's really running sort of that progressive lane of this race. Lastly, I also want to mention Kevin DeLeon, who's also even more and is positioning himself even a little bit further to the left of Karen Bass in this race, but somebody who's also really well-known locally, who has of late sort of fallen behind Caruso and Bass in public polling. But it's important to note, polling is a little variable with these races, especially in low turnout. So Kevin DeLeon is still one to sort of keep an eye on in this moment. So those are sort of the top candidates. Like I said, there's a whole bunch running, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a really fascinating question as to sort of what kind of Democrat comes out of this race. And that's what mm-hmm. I'm going to be really watching for on June 7th. Yeah. What kind of Democrat and 
we know that races have gotten more and more expensive. And in a sea of expensive primaries, one of the most expensive is this mayoral primary. Can you talk about the money here? Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is the fifth most expensive race in the country so far. And like, let's remember, we have primaries that have come up like Pennsylvania's Senate primary or the Ohio Senate primary where there were candidates that were each spending millions of dollars plus outside super PACs all spending cash. And yet somehow this is this has been elevated to that level of spending purely on the strength of Rick Crusoe's self-financing. And that's a really, mm-hmm. really big deal, especially in a immediate market like Los Angeles that is just so expensive that you have to sort of spend a huge amount of money to even get, you know, even be a blip basically on people's radar. He spent about $25 million on TV ads. It's just a lot of money that has poured into this race in part because he has to go from someone who is just not a particularly well-known elected official because he's not one he's an outsider. He's a first-time candidate. And so this is really his way of getting into this race is, is, is by spending his way into this race. Yeah. And I mean, there's a cap on donations you can get, right? It's like $1,500, but there's no limit on how much you can self-finance. So he's poured more than $20 million of his own money in. Exactly. So this is definitely a situation in which it it helps to to have some uh, of your own personal financial wealth if you're running for office. This has always been the case um, where there are limits, as you said, on what people can give to you, but there's not limits to what you as the candidate can give to yourself and to your campaign. But it is important to note that California has a long history of self-financing candidates who who have failed, mm-hmm. who have effectively not been able to use that money in such a way to get through. So I'm thinking of people like Carly Fiorina or Meg Whitman. I mean, there's a long list of candidates where spending a ton of money, especially in California, doesn't necessarily translate into more votes. But I do think it's important to note with this particular race that I think in a lot of ways, Rick Caruso has hit a moment where he's sort of matching the moment. He's mm-hmm. somebody who um, is, as we've said, a political outsider in a moment in which there's a lot of frustration with with politicians in L.A., both on the city level, but then also nationally. We've seen how Joe Biden is just generally struggling with approval ratings. People are just unhappy with incumbents right now. So he benefits for, sort of from that profile. He also benefits from the fact that he's talking about two of the main issues for Los Angeles voters, which is homelessness and crime. Mm -hmm. This has been just at the center of every debate, every conversation, and at the center of every TV ad he has run. That's not to say the other candidates aren't explicitly and very much focused on these issues, too. But he's sort of running as the more moderate Democratic candidate. Also, a part of his background, too, is that he was also once a registered Republican. So he is very right. much sort of taking up the more moderate, centrist lane. Critics of his would say running as, you know, a Republican in sheep's clothing. He He's really trying to occupy a little bit more of that moderate lane. And he's done that really effectively where even other sort of more moderate candidates who have talked in the same way that he has about homelessness and crime, that um, he's basically boxed them out. So in a lot of ways, his sort of profile, his messaging, what he's talking about on TV all matches up with what people in Los Angeles really care about right now and what they're frustrated by right now. And and that maybe will give him potentially a leg up over those other self-financing candidates that we've seen in California really flame out. So we joked about how there's sometimes an East Coast bias. But again, this is L.A. This is a huge city. I'm wondering from the political strategists that you're talking to, what are they saying about what this shows about where the Democratic Party is right now 
it's just interesting we got this very wealthy outsider and then kind of a political insider. Yeah. So I think in a lot of ways, this is mirroring some of what we saw in New York City. Now I'm, again, betraying my East Coast bias here comparing it to New York. But I think it's good context because remember, Eric Adams is somebody who ran very explicitly as a moderate, somebody who wanted to fund and support police departments, not defund them the way that we certainly saw progressives lean into that messaging in 2020 Hmm. and that there was interest in finding new ways and how how else, you know, were progressives going to figure out ways to, to talk about this issue. So I think that the comparison from New York now to L.A. is that we're seeing really similar dynamics play out here where we have a candidate who is very much very explicitly running against sort of this defund movement in Rick Caruso. And that's not to say that Karen Bass is explicitly pro defunding the police um, by any mm-hmm. stretch. I think rather she's just presenting a little more progressive a sort of a path and an option, a way of talking about these issues than Rick Crusoe is. And so if Rick Crusoe comes out leading the pack out of June, I think that will really send some serious signals to Democrats all across the country saying, even in our bluest of cities, people are looking for more moderate candidates. And what does that say about what our chances are in the midterms? We're going to be facing much different competition from Republicans in suburban counties that are a lot less blue than a place like Los Angeles. Is there any evidence that voters like care about the amount of money being poured into a race or does it ultimately just come down to like whose message are they seeing? Like, can you sort of separate the money from the message? That's a good question. I don't know if there's necessarily or I've look, I don't have any uh, insight into whether there's been some polling around that question, but I could sort of see it going both ways. I could see people saying, I don't like that this guy is trying to buy a mayor's seat. And that's certainly something that Karen Bass has said. She believes that that voters in Los Angeles do not want a self-funder purchasing, in her words, the mayor's office. But I also could see Voters saying, hey, look, this guy made his money, and if he wants to spend it on running for office, then more power to him. So I think it's going to be interesting to see whether or how voters might sour on his self-funding. And if that does become an issue, I think it could happen. Hasn't happened yet, but it definitely could happen. And for right now, the most important aspect to all of this is that they are hearing his message about crime and homelessness and about corruption City Hall in a way that Karen Bass has not been able to break through. Right now, Rick Crusoe is outspending Karen Bass about 13 to 1 wow. on television. So that's just, again, it's sort of a, another proof point of just how much, yes, this this money really does make a difference when you are simply trying to get in front of people, especially really in an expensive media market like this, a low turnout election. That kind of money, that kind of spending getting your message in front of people, that really does matter. You've been covering primaries in a bunch of states. You know, there are many very expensive Senate primaries, too. But I'm curious about the fact that this is a mayoral race in a big city, which is inherently an executive office. So do you think that do you think people are going to be looking at this, you know, next week and come November and saying, hey, this is an accurate way to take the temperature of where the Democratic Party is at right now? I think that this will be another piece of evidence that both ends of the political spectrum in the Democratic Party will try to use or try to parse to their own benefit. I think progressives are going to see something and I think moderates are going to see something else. But look again, look no further than Eric Adams out of New York, who was asked to come and speak to Democrats here in Washington about his messaging. People Mm -hmm. are paying attention to these races because they are 
massive, as you noted, executive positions where mostly Democratic voters are voting. And if they are leaning a little bit more moderate, that does tell the party something about which way primary voters might go. And that does hold some real warning signs, some real meaning to how they should be operating and making decisions heading into November. But I do still think that everyone's going to pull from this what they kind of what they want to see out of it. Yeah, that's always the way. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Elena Schneider, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks so much for having me. Also in the news, the Supreme Court has suspended a Texas law banning online platforms from restricting user posts based on their political views, representing a major win for social media companies. In a 5-4 ruling, the court granted an emergency stay request on Tuesday to a petition from tech industry groups that petitioned to block a law they said would violate companies' First Amendment rights to control what content they disseminate on their platforms. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.